Alrighty, folks. Thank you for uh, joining us for the 27th installment of our chapter chat in the book of Acts. And we are in Acts chapter 27 as we uh, are in the, this is the penultimate chapter of this great uh, book of the Bible. And um, we are in an action-packed chapter. Uh, it's maybe not so much the acts and actions that maybe the book is really you know titled after, but there is lots of action in this chapter. Jason, you ready to, to, to go sailing? Well, let's jump on a boat. All right. So uh, this particular chapter uh, it maybe is kind of infamous in, in the book of Acts, at least in my mind it is, of being um, in a lot of ways kind of, kind of dry in, in a sense. And I say that from the standpoint of, of just from from the spiritual and gospel side of things, um, because what's going on in this chapter is a lot. It is a lot of of, of action that that would make for a really good movie. Actually, if you were going to make a movie True. about any chapter in this book, you probably would want to do it about chapter twenty-seven because you'd be able to do all kinds of cool CGI and uh, neat <laughs> stuff in it, and it would. I mean, it would be captivating to watch. Um, so we're going to have to pay close attention to kind of pull out some things. But just kind of as we look at this chapter as, as a whole, I do want to just just throw out right at the beginning, and you feel free to even answer it right here at the beginning. Um, what's the point of this? Why is this here? You know, of, of, of all the things that Luke could have recorded for us, why is there such detail about this this journey from from Caesarea to Rome and this big long boat trip, an entire chapter, 44 verses worth, uh, devoted to this. Why this when there's so many other things that we probably would be really, really interested in? Like, for example, when Paul was in prison and kept, you know, unjustly incarcerated for two years in Caesarea, mm-hmm. I'd like to know more about that. I mean, we got just kind of a quick glimpse of, of what happened kind of at the beginning of it and at the end of it. But, you know, what about during that, that middle part? I'd like to know more about that. Um, there's lots of other places throughout Acts I wish we would have known more about. But why this? What is the point of including this? And I've got thoughts about that. But if you've got a thought about that that you want to just say, maybe even just to kind of prepare us as we read this passage, toss it out at us. So, I mean, when you think about... Jesus has told Paul he's going to get to Rome. Yep. And so far, we've seen a lot of um, humans trying to intervene to mm-hmm. make that not happen, yeah. to stop it. We're getting ready to see a storm, a shipwreck, and a snake bite. <laughs> Some uh, pretty crazy, unhumanly forces yeah. that seem to be working against Paul here. Yeah. Um, and I think that we're just seeing how God works through whatever situation we find ourselves in. And, and this is a, a huge, major chapter that we see that. Yeah. I, 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 your, your, your train of thought is exactly where I was going. Uh, up until this point, we've seen lots of, of, of human efforts to stop the gospel, to stop Paul, to stop the other apostles, and to stop the church. But time and time again, we've seen God's going to get His work done regardless. There's nobody that's going to stop God from doing what God is wanting to do. And even in this particular chapter, we've got the forces of nature. And even when we get to the middle of the chapter, you've got everybody that's completely given up hope that we're all going to die and it's not going to happen. God's going to say in His own way, nope, we're going to get it done. 
Paul's going to get to where I need him to go. And in fact, as, as a result of you other people being associated with Paul, you're actually going to be the beneficiaries of, of being in his company because you're not going to die either. Uh, everybody is going to be able to, uh, to get to where we need to go here. And so uh, I, th I think that is the main thing, you know, as we're seeing God's work being done no matter what. Um, and that's what we want to keep in mind as we work along and as we read through at least some of this stuff that's going to sound kind of tedious to us, but we'll, we'll try our best to make it you know, exciting and relevant to us. So Paul is on his way to Rome. He's appealed to Caesar. He's had these couple of other you know, defenses that he's given in between the time, but now you know, Festus says, all right, I, I, I got nothing. I, I'm just going to send him on to Caesar. That's the only thing I know to do. So now's the time. Chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was decided <clears throat> that we should sail for Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Now, we've seen Paul kind of in the hands of, of other uh, Roman officials. Here's a, a new Roman official that has kind of been tasked with taking care of him. And this one, the mention there of the Augustan cohort, uh, that's, that's clearly an indication that this is one of the imperial you know, one of the emperor's, you know, people, you know, this is a, a top-ranking official, one of the people who the Caesar, you know, would have used part of his, um, part of his cohort. Um, and I bring that up because we're going to see the way that this guy deals with Paul is somewhat similar to the way, like, the previous guys had dealt with Paul, these previous officials. Verse 2, and embarking in a ship of Adramidium, yeah, I think I got that on the first pass, <laughs> Nailed it. which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, and the next day we put in at Sidon. And, a, and Julius, that's the cohort guy, he treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and to be cared for. And so, here once again, just like with the previous you know, centurion guys that were um, you know, watching over Paul, um, they kind of did Paul some kindnesses and some favors. We see that happening here again. And I think this is just another way of, of, of just showing um, that Christianity was not the enemy to, to, to Rome, to the empire. Um, Paul conducted himself like a Christian. And when Christians conduct themselves like Christians, we find that, yeah, we can get along, even with our, our civil government and our other leaders who maybe we would be completely different in our ideologies and our theology. Um, but, but there's a place for us to still be able to conduct ourselves in a, in a proper way and work together. And I think Paul is the beneficiary of some kindness here because this guy realized, all right, He's a pretty good guy, you know. He's not a threat to the rest of us, you know. So, hey, give him an opportunity to go, uh, you know, be with his friends and have them, you know, do some things for him. Yeah, I mean, as a prisoner, that, that's a lot of freedom to yeah. have. And, I mean, not to mention, by the by the pronouns here, Luke is with him. He's back in it. Yep. Yeah, and so apparently he's, he's doing all this sailing around with Paul yeah. at the same time. And so uh, for him to be allowed to do that... Um, now that that speaks highly of, of how Paul was regarded. Yeah, uh, I mean, what other prisoner would you trust to bring uh, some of his friends with him along on this journey that you know he could escape? Yeah, the other prisoners, it doesn't say you know that well they got to bring their buddies and family members <laughs> and friends. So right, yeah, um, and that is important to note that that we do we do have the shift in the pronouns once again here in chapter twenty seven. I think this is the first time we've seen the we and us language since. Maybe chapter twenty-one. Um, there's, I think, there's a possibility Luke may have been 
there some, maybe during the, the time that Paul was in, in incarcerated in Caesarea, even though it, he doesn't use those pronouns. I think there's probably a pretty good reason to believe he would have been there for some of that. But uh, right. Luke is here in the middle of all this, and maybe that is part of the reason why we get as much detail as we do, all of this nautical terminology and uh, the geography that's given because Luke is, I mean, he's watching it all unfold right before his very eyes and certainly what happens in this chapter is memorable and so Luke's going to remember a lot of stuff about it. Um, maybe the other thing I'd say about that is I, I, I think there's a practical reason for Luke to give all this information and that is it just kind of helps to provide even more credibility to the things that he's written, you know, he's not just you know embellishing and just making stuff up and making it more dramatic for the sake of it being dramatic. No, um, he's he's wanting this for his readers to realize. I mean, hey, we're we're reading real life. We're not reading some made up story. This isn't a fairy tale. This is real life involving real people with real souls. And uh, I think by giving these kinds of details, it kind of helps ground all of that in reality for the reader. I think we're going to see some things. If if I was just writing the story and making it up, I would have probably left out a couple of the things that Paul said because he was wrong about a couple things yeah. in this chapter we're yeah. going to see. We are. Uh, and so it, it's like if Luke was making it up, this, this would have been terrible. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he made some blunders here. Well, you know, so Luke starts to give the the descriptions of, of, of the leaving. So verse 2 there. Um if, if we start plotting all this on a map, and probably if somebody's listening and they've got a Bible, more than likely you've probably got maps in the back of your Bible or in the center or somewhere that's got all of these different mm-hmm. journeys mapped out. And this is uh, one of them that's mapped out. If you're looking at a map, though, and you've got you know, Caesarea Philippi you know, there you know, in, in Palestine, and then you're looking over here to the far side of the map and you find Rome, okay, if, if I'm sailing... I mean, I'm just going to start heading due west and then start cutting up to the north, and boom, I'm in Rome. What we're going to see is that this journey is not just like that. Instead, we're going to sail along the coast, and I think there's probably a good reason for that. And uh, that is, well, number one, we're certainly going to see the, the, the sea and this particular time of year is a difficult time of year to be sailing. Um, but secondly, you know, we're making those kinds of judgment based, based on, you know, our ships and our boats today, you know, that have motors yeah. on them and, you know, can travel probably longer distances in a much quicker time. And uh, they didn't have that. And so they're going to work along the coastline for whenever they need to make stops accordingly. And, um, and so for the whole first part of this trip, it is going to be along the coast, as he mentions there uh, in verse 2. Um, Verse 4, And so putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. I'm just banging it with these, with these <laughs> names of these places. Here we go. <laughs> there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. So we've changed ships now. And this is going to be the ship, and you know, unless Luke just missed a ship uh, change between here and the shipwreck, uh, this is going to be the ship that's going to end up having the wreck by the by the middle of the chapter, um, or by the end of the chapter. And one of the things we ought to just note about this is that this change of ship obviously has a lot of cargo on it. We're going to see that evident. 
Mm. It's got a lot of passengers on it. That's going to be evident by the end of this. Um, and so this is probably a much bigger ship than what they were on previously. Yeah. Verse 7, We sailed slowly for a number of days, and we arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. So there's these you know, small mentions here of, of you know, wind was strong, and so we kind of took it slow, and it was pushing against us here, and so that slowed us down. There's kind of these, these ominous building up of, you know, it wasn't smooth sailing even in the early stages. And that's just going to build and build and build to the crescendo. Uh, anything you want to say about... Jason, why don't you explain to us all this nautical geographical stuff that we're reading here? Well, all the times that I've spent on ships <laughs> have been not much at all, so I uh, can't do that. <laughs> But I will say, I, I think that it's this is really setting the scene for why uh, they get to this place so late. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they hadn't intended to get there that late. Uh, you know, in all of their plans, they expected, you know, decent sailing. But when you keep hitting bad wind after contrary wind, after wind that was against us, after wind that slowed us down, you know, you can only do so much yeah. with that. Like, you know, like you were saying, they didn't have motors they can turn on. You got a wind that's blowing the exact opposite direction of how you're going to go or where you need to go. You can't change the sails to yeah. make it go that way. Um, so there, there was nothing that they could do. It, it just slowed them down. Well, verse 9 gives us a helpful, kind of, I think, kind of a, probably a good time marker to know what time of year we're talking about. So let's read yeah. verse 9. So since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. That mention there of the fast, is, does that just how the New American Standard renders that? Yeah. That's probably a reference to the annual Day of Atonement. That was the one uh, commanded fast on the the Jewish calendar, and that and I guess depending on what year it was, of course it would be on a on a different day every year. But it could have been somewhere mid to late September or maybe in early October. So Luke's mentioning that. So we're probably a little bit past maybe the middle of October at this point, and that's starting to get into the time of the year when it's not good time to sail. Um, September, October, and early part of November was, was kind of a dangerous time of the year to sail. And specifically, middle of November through like the first part of March, yeah. no sailing. That's wintertime. We're not doing that. It makes me immediately think about, you know, when Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, do your best to come before winter. Mm -hmm. Why? Because... Well, there's going to be several months where you can't do any sailing to get to me. And so um, we're nearing that, whether we're in the you know, middle of October or, or whatever, but we're getting near to the, uh, to the difficult time of the year. Uh, maybe the one thing we ought to just say, um, you know, so like I did a Google map search of the distance from, uh, from Caesarea over to Rome. And we're talking about if you, if you flew... Just a direct flight, you can get there in a little over five hours, which that'd be yeah pretty easy in in our yeah. time of transportation. Um, the actual path that they took though uh, through the sea, um, we're talking about something that probably would have been you know a couple thousand miles. And yeah. and I'd read I'd pulled out a commentary for this. When courier ships would make the travel between Palestine and Rome, even under the most ideal conditions, it would take forty six days. 
So, and we're not dealing with ideal conditions here. Right. Uh, so a month and a half minimum uh, of, of sailing time and um, it, during the worst time of the year to be sailing. Uh, that gives us all some context. And it is in light of that that Paul then says what he says in verse 10. So Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with much in, or with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Now, you've already kind of previewed this by saying, um, Paul's kind of speaking out of turn uh, here. Um, I think we can probably say conclusively that uh, Paul is not speaking under Holy Spirit inspiration here because the last statement that he makes it ends up being wrong when he says that you know there's going to be the loss of life because um, right. the end of the story nobody loses their life everybody is 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 saved what spoiler Paul is alert. yeah spoiler um, <laughs> what he is doing here though I think is I, I just think he's when it says that he advised them that's how the the ESV renders it um, I think Paul's actually somebody who would have been speaking probably from some from some experience. You know, the second Corinthian letter, Second Corinthians eleven, Paul says, I'd been shipwrecked three times. Yeah. And that was written before this. Yeah. So he's talking about three other shipwrecks that he had been involved in uh, and spent considerable time out in the deep, that passage goes on to say. Um I take it that Paul is a guy who is pretty well traveled by boat. He may have, with the exception of, you know, the pilot of the ship, uh, he may have been the most experienced uh, boat traveler on the boat. And so I think he probably is kind of speaking out of, hey, listen, I, I mean, I'm not an idiot just guessing or, you know, just talking to be talking. Like, uh, he probably was speaking with some measure of, of personal experience and authority, even if he's not speaking with divine authority on this occasion. Right. Yeah, and that that's what I would say about this. You know, if... If Luke was trying to paint Paul in the most like heavenly light as possible, yeah. you know that's probably something he would have left out. Right. But again, like you said, he's showing the details, showing you know good, bad, and the ugly, yeah. everything. And I mean, this wasn't like Paul was being deceptive or anything like no. that. But he was just you know from his experience. That's look looks like that's what's going to happen. And he was right. He, he he's going to end up being right about you yeah. know, a, a good part of it. That there is going to be a lot of loss, the cargo and the ship. And normally, if you think if, if the ship's going to be lost, well, well, naturally, yeah, you're probably going to lose some lives too. Yeah. Uh, you know, when the Titanic sunk. Yeah, I mean, it, there are people that died. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, and so uh, that would be kind of natural to go along with it. But uh, I do appreciate that statements like these are included because it is a good reminder to us that not everything that Paul or the other apostles ever said was was spirit inspired words. They were still right. human beings, and they still had to you know do daily communicating and things with folks. And you know, not every word and every single step that they took was directly guided by the Holy Spirit in everything. Um, it's yeah. important for us to remember that. And, and it is. I, I think that this this should help us connect with these people more mm -hmm. than it takes us away. Because I I think sometimes we look at Bible characters, Bible heroes, and and we're like, man, I, I could never be like that because yeah. you know they they had the Spirit and they had God directly telling them where to go, what to do, how to do it, uh, and and everything. And you know that's that's just not the way God operated even then. Right. You know, in, in this era of the Spirit, where we see the Spirit all over the place, that's that's not how it worked. Right. 
Um, and so Paul was a regular guy. Yeah, which is why stuff. people who today are looking for some kind of, you know, almost literal direct leading of the Spirit of, of every decision in life, every mundane thing, every footstep that I take, um, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree because God didn't even do that with, with men who were apostles all the time. Yeah. Um, so that's Paul's assessment of the situation. Well, what's the verdict? Verse 11, But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And, you know, if I was a centurion, I, I probably would have as well. You know, I'd think, yeah, these guys, they do this for a living. They, they, they may be, all right, yeah, you, you rode on a boat a few times, but these guys, this is, they know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, verse 12, And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So, all right, it's, again, we're, we're, we're nearing the winter months. Not good for us to do this, but all right, we're, we're going to go ahead and maybe give it, give it a shot, see if we can get to this certain location over here, and that way we can be able to spend the, uh, the remainder of the winter time. So um, that that's really provides the, the, the catalyst for the, the drama that's about to unfold. Anything else you want to say down through verse 12? I mean, it's all of these details just help us to see why they were so adamant of wanting to sail mm-hmm. right now. You know, Fair Havens, that was a terrible place. Like, why would you name a place Fair Havens that's that terrible to winter? Yeah, I know. But they're like, no, we got to get there. And it's kind of funny the way they, it says here, uh, if somehow they could reach Phoenix. It's <laughs> like, we're not really sure we can, but we it's better than here. You yeah. Know? Uh, so that they were they were very adamant about getting there, and you know uh, to connect this to what we're about to read, looking for any kind of sign maybe that they had made the right choice. Mm-hmm. Well, let's read verse thirteen. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and they sailed along Crete close to the shore. So, if you look on a map, you see. The island of Crete, we're kind of going down under that, going on the bottom side of that, or wait, not the bottom side of that, the, yeah, we're going on the bottom side of that uh, to kind of try to avoid what we think is probably going to be the worst side, which would be upon the northern side of it. Verse 14, but soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently, violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So the description in these verses, the way I picture it is like, I mean, we're, we're patching holes to keep water from getting into the ship. We're, you know, pulling ropes and we're essentially, you know, trying to hold the ship together to keep yeah. it from falling apart. That's the image that I have in my mind uh, is how terrible the, the, the wind and then the waves and everything else that's kind of crashing and beating on it uh, together. And then, you know, as each day passes, uh, we're tossing stuff overboard. Got all this cargo. Some have suggested that, you know, since this was, it says it was a ship of Alexandria, probably maybe like wheat or something like that would have been on, on board. So let's start dumping that, start bump, dumping some of the other uh, tackle and things that like, you know, normally we would probably need, but 
It's weight bearing, so let's start tossing it and only the bare essentials. And um, verse 20, then, when it says, you know, sun or stars appeared for many days, well, that's indication well, we're lost now. Yeah. You know, because they didn't have the GPS equipment that you and I do today. Um, they used the sun and the stars as their navigating system. That was their GPS. And we ain't got that for several days. So we don't we even know where we are. Um, we were we were last week uh, down in Peachtree City, Georgia, and we were riding our, our golf carts on the 100 miles of path that they have there in the city. And we were out pretty late one night, and we were way back in some forest <laughs> i don't know <laughs> and it was dark and like we didn't know where we were and and my gps was not picking up a good signal and i mean we could see the path under us and our you know our our, our golf cart had headlights but but there was you know kind of some some moments of discomfort when you don't know where you are and yeah. you're in a dark place and you don't know whether you're getting further and further away from your destination or or, or just what and so uh, just the panic and the fear you know I can uh, even in whatever small way that I felt that last week I can sympathize here with what these guys are going through which is why then when it says at the end of verse uh, 20 and I really think this is kind of the the, the crux of the chapter um, to help kind of help us see the the main point of the chapter everybody had given up hope that it's <laughs> we're dead uh, you know this is what Everything around us is telling us is that we're dead. And what we're going to see is that God's going to say otherwise. Nope, God's work's still going to get done. I got Paul on that ship, and I promised him he's going to Rome, and that's going to happen. Yeah, and this this is just such, I mean, the detail, um, just showing how desperate they were. I mean, this is a cargo ship mm -hmm. wh whose only intention is to take cargo. And when you're throwing that overboard... That shows, okay, all you are thinking about is your life. They were legitimately scared for their life because why else would they throw all that overboard? Yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, if so when, I, some, when I first read this, I, I remember uh, thinking, okay, what, what, what's the point? Why would you throw cargo over? Wouldn't you want to you know, have more weight on the ship to like, be able to withstand stuff? That's not the idea. You want to get as much off so you're floating up higher. Yeah not hitting like sandbars or whatever yeah, and especially if the boat's filling up with water and yeah that too yeah <laughs> so you definitely don't want to take on more water than you need to the further away you are from the surface of the water the better yeah i i, I was i was noticing the again the pronouns here and in, in these verses you know uh like verse 17 you know they use support uh, they lowered the gear etc etc but i did notice there was once there in verse 16 where it says we manage with difficulty to secure the ship's boat, which kind of makes me wonder, like, hey, you know, Luke isn't just sitting here, you know, taking notes of all this. <laughs> he's involved in helping with it. Right. And maybe even as he's later writing this about this, he maybe even is looking at his own hands that have been terribly blistered from pulling these ropes of this, yeah. you know, the, the, the ship's... The lifeboat, probably. Yeah, 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 exactly. So all of this stuff is is everybody would have been literally all hands on deck to help with with what was going on because it is you know it is a life or death uh, situation. Um, verse twenty one. This is probably my favorite paragraph <laughs> in, in the in the chapter. Yeah. But but specifically, what's said here in 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 well, let's just read it. Verse twenty one. Since they had been without food for a long time, 
Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Um, it's hard to read that and not it not come across like I told you so. <laughs> right. Um, and, but I, I don't think it's really meant to be an I told you so. I think it's really meant to say, hey, listen, I, I did try to give some advice, and, and, and now we're, we're seeing the, the results of not taking my advice, but now I've got some other stuff I want to say. Mm-hmm. And I think he's just saying it to set up, and, and hopefully they'll give actually actual ear to the things he's going to say now. So verse 22, Yet now... I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, verse 23, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who will sail with you. So, verse 25, Take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island." So, Paul uses this as an opportunity to, well, I'm going to do a little bit of evangelism while we're in the middle of, you know, being tossed in the stormy sea and, you know, people are afraid that they're going to die. Um, you know, he's probably, they're probably on a boat with, you know, a bunch of pagan people, a bunch of pagan people, you know, especially the way it's worded there. The yeah. God uh, to whom I belong and whom I worship, it, 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 I recognize that it's very different than the gods that, that you all serve and that you all know. Um, but my God, who is the, the God, uh, He sent a messenger to, to assure me it, it's all going to work out. It's all going to be okay. Yeah, the ship, we're going to lose it. It's going to be destroyed. But there's not going to be a single person who's going to lose their life here. Um, you know, and at the end of all of this, I, I, I do often wonder, you know, were there any conversions uh, after all this is said and done? You know, we often talk about how whenever there's, um, you know, major storms in life and difficulties, that oftentimes that is when people turn to God. Mm-hmm. And um, who knows, maybe Paul used the, all right, we're getting cast into the sea. All right, let's just go ahead and just baptize some people out here in the middle of the sea while we're here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, take your confession and then you just, you just bob your head under and <laughs> you're now a Christian. Automatic baptism. It's there, yeah. yeah. Just do it while we're here. Yeah, I, I think from here I, I see that Paul, he wasn't like preaching a full-blown sermon here. Right. And I think that there are times and places uh, for sermons, and there's times and places where it's not. Yeah. And he he's a good example of, okay, he has good character, people trust him, and uh, people, you know, he what he says is, I mean, just good advice in general. Yeah. Since he did that before, and now he's able to do this... He brings up God. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't preach and he doesn't te- tell them, okay, you need to follow him and you need to serve him because that's that would have went way over their head at this mm-hmm. point. You know, yeah. they were scared that they were going to die right now. Yeah, uh, this is not the time for a dissertation on, you know, the, the divinity of Jesus and let me explain to no. you all of that. Yeah, it's not, and and so we just need to be aware. Um, just because we 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 feel like okay, this person needs to hear about Jesus, I'm going to tell them everything about Jesus. Right. That might not be the approach. Right. You know, we need to have good conduct with people. We need to have good conversation with people. And when the time is right, you know, maybe it's somebody needs to see how we handle things, like you said, a couple times, and then it's like, okay, well, what are you doing? How mm-hmm. are you doing that? 
um, and, and we have a better open door. You know, as we've talked, so we've talked about evangelism probably more than any other subject, you know, for these 26 chapters. And when we've talked about it, let's just be truthful, this is probably more in line with the kind of evangelism we're going to be involved in on like just a day-to-day basis. Where where God is just part of our conversations. Mm -hmm. It may not be a full-blown, let's sit down and have a Bible study kind of thing. Uh, Yeah, we want it to get to that point, but... Having an evangelistic mindset, this is where it just needs to start, where, where spiritual things and the things of God are just readily on our lips. They're part of our regular conversation. It's not, it should not be out of the ordinary for those kinds of words and thoughts and ideas to come out of our mouth. And when we're talking with our friends and, 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 and our coworkers, you know, like they should not be surprised you know, <laughs> to hear the language of Jehovah yeah. uh, on our lips. Um, you know, when we need to talk about how we've been blessed by God, you know, and and that can just be done in easy ways. You know, when we're talking about our family or when we're talking about, um, you know, our health or, or the circumstances of the world, God's God's really blessed me these last several months and uh, got us through this difficult difficult time period. And those kinds of things are the kinds of things that, like you've said. They build up and they add up over time and they give a person credibility uh, to where we can hopefully take that to the next step where we are having an actual Bible study or the person is having the opportunity to, uh, you know, they're willing to listen to, to a sermon CD or something. Mm. Um, this is the kind of day-to-day sort of thing and it's, it's just funny that you know, maybe one of the best illustrations of this is happening right here in chapter 27 <laughs> while Paul's on a boat and everybody thinks they're going to drown and die. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're we're learning about evangelism even here in you know in in the the, the thick of the storm. Um, we just have to see the calm of God in yeah. the storms of life. Yeah, I mean that's that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and especially you know this is this is very appropriate for the season of time that we're living in right now because everything seems so chaotic in our world and nothing seems you know we've talked so much about getting back to normal and those sorts of things. So everything is out of whack. And what do people need to see in all that? What they need to see is they need to see someone who is able to manifest the, the, the peace that passes all understanding, mm-hmm. uh, people who have that, that calm and that composure that recognizes we're going to be all right. It's going to be okay. All right, well, 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 how do you know that? Where, where, do you, where are you getting that from? Yeah. Uh, people need to, we need to be that, that lighthouse out in the middle of the stormy sea that people are able to see. And um, Paul's doing that in a very literal way right here out in the middle of a stormy sea. Yeah. Uh, Take heart, for I have faith in God that it'll be exactly as it's been told. Mm-hmm. And then there's that but at the end. But, but we do need to slam the ship into, into the ground somewhere. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> yeah. We need to figure out what's going to be the, uh, the best way to wreck this ship. Yeah. That's um, for sure going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So verse 27. When the fourteenth night had come, again, just such specific detail here by Luke, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and they found 20 fathoms. And a little farther on, they took a sounding again, and they found 15 fathoms. Right? We're getting closer and closer. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern, and they prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, from the bow 
Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So, um, Okay, the tension's building here. Um, there's the desire here for uh, where it says that they, uh, verse, what verse was it? 29, praying, they're praying for, for day to come. Presumably, if we can get some daylight, all right, then we can actually see what we're doing. Last thing we want to do is try to wreck a ship <laughs> while it's still dark. Uh, you, know, yeah. you know, surprise! <laughs> there's a rock right there. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the, the soundings thing. I think they were just seeing how deep the water was, it was getting shallower and yeah. shallower, and and they, they were just like, okay, we know that there is some sort of land that's close by. Don't know which direction it is, where it is, what it is. So, yeah, I, I could see that. There's there's a lot of fear yeah. in this. Yeah, well, and, and I think that's, that's certainly what is provoking there in verse 30, some of the some of the sailors that were trying to evacuate and escape, you know, they're they're afraid that you know we're going to slam into something and it's going to be terrible and we're going to die a horrible death. So let's just get off and take our chances uh, out of this. Paul says, you know, Paul's kind of aware of of, of of the ruse that's going on. Paul says, nope, we need these guys to stay. And I don't know if this was something that was specifically revealed to Paul by God when the angel came and spoke to him, or maybe Paul's just kind of making a uh, he's deducing this from the logic that the angel said, everybody on this boat is going to be spared. And maybe Paul's just thinking, well, if there's anybody that's not on this boat, um, then that's going to put a wrinkle in the plan that God had. And so um, Paul says, hey, they, they, need, to, they need to stay. Uh, mm-hmm. nobody, nobody needs to be jumping off. Um, yeah, that's, that, if you, at first glance, this can be kind of concerning because... You see, in verse 24, he was so adamant saying that, you know, we are all going to be saved. Yeah. And now he's saying, well, hold on. If if these if the sailors jump off the boat, you can't be saved. Yeah. So it's like, whoa, but what? So are, are you losing faith? Do you not have faith? Or what, what are you doing here? Like, yeah. why is Paul saying that? And I think it's a sort of the similar situation of when Paul's nephew overheard the, you know, the plot the yeah. uh, against his life. I mean, just because God has given us a promise doesn't mean that there is absolutely nothing we have to do right. in order to accomplish that. Yeah. You know... And to cooperate w- within the promise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Matthew 6, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. So that doesn't mean, though, that we could just sit around and say, okay, God, feed me now. Yeah. Just drop the manna from heaven. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, Paul even said, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's things that we have to do right. as well. And so it, it's, I don't think Paul was acting outside of, you know, trusting God. He was just, uh, you know, in, in my view of this, he, he was like, we need somebody who knows how to work the ship to mm-hmm. actually still be on the ship. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not like if, if the pilot of my plane was, was jumping out, I wouldn't just be like, oh, well, God's going to fly the plane. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah I'd, I'd like to have that pilot there. That'd be nice. Yeah. Well, and evidently, whatever measure of influence Paul didn't have with the centurion originally, 
the, the, the he does have that influence now because yeah. they end up cutting away the ropes of the little you know the little side shift that they were going <laughs> to bail on. They cut it off and let it go, and so nope, nobody's getting off. Uh, we're all in this together. I don't know if that was what Paul had intended for no. them to do, but got the job done. Yeah, it does limit the opportunities to to, to get away. Um, verse thirty three. So as day was about to dawn. Paul, purred, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. I think this ties in with the point that you just made as well. You know, all right, the Lord's going to save us, but hey, we're also going to need our strength for, mm. for what's going to happen. I mean, we're going to need to probably be doing some swimming and some things, so, you know, you need to eat. You know, I realize we've all been stressed and, and maybe don't even feel like feel like eating or don't maybe just haven't even had time to eat, but we gotta make time for this. This is important. We need to eat. Um, this is probably my favorite verse in the whole chapter, verse thirty five. When he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and he began to eat. The reason this is my favorite verse in this chapter is because it just sets forth such a simple and easy principle for 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 us uh, about giving thanks um, before we have a meal mm. you know we all pray at all times you know I know lots of people that have certain times of the day that's kind of their special prayer time pray first thing in the morning pray of an evening I do that with our kids uh, before they go to bed um, other special times during the day but I've just often thought, you know, if ever there, if, if you can't even carve out the time in all those other places of your day, at least at the time before I put my food in my mouth for my lunch or my supper or whatever, I'm going to take a minute or two to, to talk to the Lord. I'm going to yeah. thank Him for the food that I'm about to eat. You know, my dad growing up, yeah, mom gets the food on the table and all of them, here's the four McKibben boys, you know, we're starving, ready to eat. and one of us will start scooping mashed potatoes into our mouth before we've said the prayer, and my dad will stop us, and he'll say, Hey, what are you, a bunch of dogs? And we'd say, No. And he's like, Well, you're acting like dogs. And we're like, Well, how so? He's like, Well, dogs don't pray before they eat. You know, aren't you better than a dog? And that's always just stuck with me. That, yeah, yeah. I am better than a dog. <laughs> you know, at a minimum, I can pause yeah. and give thanks to God for food. Jesus did that. You know, Jesus did that miracle of, of the, the loaves and the fishes, and the, the Scripture goes out of its way to say that He, that he gave thanks before, uh, before you know, dividing it to be eaten. And here Paul, once again, and, and this is in a kind of a tense moment where, you know, maybe we're thinking, yeah, I mean, at any minute we're going to come barreling into to this island uh, or, or into to land here, and so, hey, we got time to eat. Let's just hurt, or pray. Let's just go ahead and eat and get it on with. No. We're going to stop and we're going to pray for a second. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just think it's a, such a simple thing, especially with kids. It's just a great practice to establish with our kids early on. And um, I just like the fact that that happened and that Luke recorded it for us, even in the midst of all of this chaos. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't considered that with this. Yeah. Um, and you, you consider, why, I mean, why did God make our bodies need to eat anyway? You know, He could have made it however He wanted to, but... Yeah. He, he has instilled this, this need within us that, like, every day, like, we're going to get hungry. And we're going to need to put something in our mouth, and we're going to need the energy from it. Yeah. You know, that's how our bodies work. And so, 
we have to realize every day that we are at the mercy of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being thankful that He provides us the energy to keep our bodies going. Yeah. Um, that's that's such a, a powerful thought. And it's something, I, I mean, we just take for granted because we eat all the time. Yeah. Um, but if you really consider what, what does it take to get the food from wherever it starts to my mouth, that's there's a lot that goes into that. And, and we should definitely be thankful to God for that. And, and, I mean, if He is taking care of our physical needs then we know for a fact yes he's he, he can take care of anything spiritually right, right. otherwise and that, you know when it says that paul he, he gave thanks to god in the presence of all i mean yeah i'm pretty sure he gave thanks for the for the food there probably was more to that prayer of thanksgiving thank mm-hmm. you lord for bringing us to this moment and sparing us to this uh, hour and thank you for you know the opportunities that are going to be opened up even after all of this is is said and done and uh, I don't know. There's just something about uh, with what you said. You know, when we have that food in front of us, it's on our plate or it's in our hand. It's on the fork. <laughs> that's maybe God's cue to us. Hey, you thinking about me? Yeah. You know, did did you stop to think about me at all today? You know, if you didn't, right now would be a good time to to think <laughs> about me. Um, yeah. Right. So, um, verse thirty-six. Then they were all encouraged, and they ate some food themselves. Parenthetical thought there in verse 37, We were in all 276 persons in the ship, and when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Um, so we fattened our bellies up a little bit. That weighs the ship down, obviously, since we've eaten. So now we got to dump some more cargo. Uh, yeah. Um, that's how it works. Yeah, that's exactly how that works. <laughs> um, so verse 30, I, I do like verse 36. It says that they were encouraged by the things that Paul had said. No doubt, it's not just even what Paul is only saying. Paul is modeling for them the hope that uh, that he has, and he's just trying to show that in his character and uh, in his poise. And um, you know, man, this guy's stopping in the middle of all this and, and praying. And you know, again, a lot of these are probably pagan people, and like they're probably looking around. Oh, yeah, let me bow my head and you know, <laughs> close my eyes. And, and then yeah, you know what? The, hey, there was something to that, and, and yeah. man, that was significant. And um, yeah, they, they were encouraged by that. Um, yeah. Other thoughts before we actually slam into slam into some rocks. I mean, just the way Paul is able to be so calm and and to consider this, you know, if if I had been at, at sea that long and and realized, okay, there's there's land close, I, I'm excited. I, I don't know that I would even have thought to eat. And I mean, it's four, it's been 14 days already. What's another day? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I might feel differently <laughs> in the moment. Um, but, you know, there's so much, as bad as the storm was, as seasick as some of these people probably were, you know, eating probably wasn't on their mind anymore. Right. Um, but, you know, Paul took control of this. He, he was very practical um, with this. And so I, I just thought that that was cool. He was a, a model of even even that. Yeah. Uh, you know, are, should we take literally as well the 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 additional promise given there in verse thirty four? Not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. <laughs> that's uh, you know, maybe that's maybe that's just meant to be kind of more of a, a, a metaphor, uh, right? But yeah. uh, but that's not to say that God couldn't make it possible for us to go through every bit of this, and and every hair on every man's head was still left 
fully intact. Kept the Israelites' clothes from wearing out. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> it's true. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went inside that fiery furnace yeah. and didn't even smell like smoke. So, yeah, uh, very possible. Verse 39 now. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and they left them in the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck, bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plans was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan, and he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. So there's the effort to see if we can run this onto the beach. Unfortunately, on the way there, there's this big reef, you know, maybe sticking up out, or maybe it wasn't even sticking up. Maybe the water was covering it, and they didn't even see it, and they, they hit it, and uh, then the boat begins to, you know, to, to, to break apart and to fall apart. And so um, there is the mention there in verse 42 about uh, the soldiers were like, well, let's just, just kill the prisoners um, because you know there's a chance that they may you know, swim on ahead and get up to the the land, and then they'll escape. And then here we are, we've we've lost prisoners, and that then puts our lives in jeopardy with the with our bosses. Um, but it says there that the centurion once again, um, because of of you know what he's seen in Paul, the character of Paul, um, Paul has proven himself up to this point. Uh, it's really because of Paul in this moment that, that the rest of those guys' life gets spared. You know, how yeah. Paul is being used uh, providentially by the Lord as a conduit of blessing for those other prisoners. And uh, and I'm going to assume those other prisoners are probably people who who really were deserving of being imprisoned, unlike Paul. You know, yeah. we may be talking about like some really hardened criminals, for all I know. Um, yeah. But their lives are spared, and that just kind of just shows how Christians, when we... Um, when we act like Christians should, we end up, maybe sometimes even without even realizing it, we end up being a blessing to other people and being a blessing to the, uh, to the world around us. And that is part of, of us being the salt of the earth and us having that preserving effect and, 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 and others are the beneficiaries of that. Yeah, I, I've always thought if, if there was anybody I wanted to be on a, a boat with as it's being shipwrecked, it's Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but no, that's that's the same. We we need to be that for people yeah. as well. Um, and in whatever trials, whatever shipwrecks of life that that come our way, um, we need to have that influence. And I mean, not that we what we're not trying to do is try to make people think that we are something special. You know, I need everybody to see how humble I am and how greatly I, you know, value God. And I, I want them to see how godly I am. Mm -hmm. That's not the idea. Um, the, the concept is if we do the right thing, then, then people will get that impression of us. Right. Um, it's not like, you know, sometimes people ask the question, what? Well, what can I do to make people think highly of me? You know, what what kinds of things? You know, what what kind of ways can I work on um, making people think that I'm a good example? 
It's like, why would, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. You know, that's that's a one-way ticket to Pride City. Yeah. Like, that's, no, we need to make sure that we're just, we're, we're doing what we need to do, handling the situation like God would want us to, um, no matter who's looking, um, because sometimes when, when we don't think anybody's looking, somebody's, somebody's watching. Yes, yes. And if we handle things the right way, especially under stress uh, in a terrible situation, then that's going to make a big difference yeah. to the people around us. There's there's essentially two kinds of influence that that people have. There's there is a conscious influence and that is where people, you know, they know people are looking at them. In fact, we have people who make a living doing that stuff today. They're called influencers, social <laughs> media influencers where yeah. they know people are watching them and so they kind of take that route that you were talking about like what can I do so that people will pay attention to me and <laughs> and and I can have, you know, the greatest impact on them. But the fact is, the, the kind of influence that we probably yield on a, on a more common day-to-day basis is a more unconscious influence where by our actions and our words and our attitudes, uh, just as we go about daily life, um, where we're not even going about it from the standpoint of like, I need to get out there and I need to, I need to say something that's going to impact other people and change them mm-hmm. uh, in a big way. No, it's just when, we just, when we're just Christians... We just act like Christians are supposed to act, uh, and then just the, the natural repercussions of that is that yeah, there, people do notice, um, and and sometimes we take that too lightly, and we think oh nobody's paying attention to me. Yes, people are paying attention to us, and um, Paul was aware that people were paying attention to him. I mean, you know, Paul's the guy who wrote, mm-hmm. uh, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." That's because Paul recognized hey people people are watching uh, all the time, and. Um, and so, um, in those small ways, and in every uh, in, in every moment of every day, in every different circumstance, and how we react in circumstances, those are the kinds of things that shape people's perception of us. And hopefully, if we're reflecting the character of Christ, then it's shaping people's perception of of, of Jesus as well. Yeah, Amen. I'm, I mean. <laughs> Can we really get to the point where we can say like Paul did, you know, imitate me? You know, because I don't know, you know, that's that's a tough thing because it's like, man, yeah. I know me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know? I know. I, I, I see the thing. Yeah, I, I'm more comfortable with saying, hey, imitate me when I'm doing the yeah. great things. Yeah. Imitate that, me on Sunday. I'm pretty good on Sundays. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean... That that is that's a hard concept. Yeah, that's uh, that's a difficult thing to to really get get a grasp on. Yeah, of you know, we we behave the way we should because it that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, not to be seen. Yeah, even if nobody's watching, it's doing. We're going to do the right thing. And um, but yeah, there's there's blessings that come for others and um, the two hundred and. 75 other people on that ship uh, were blessed as a result of, of Paul. I mean, we could probably lump as well, you know, Luke and Aristarchus. I'm sure they were trying as best they could to, to model Christian behavior uh, as well. Um, the amazing thing, though, is that very last sentence at the end of verse 44, and so it was that all were brought safely to land, you know, to the letter of what God had, had promised. Um, that's what took place, yeah. Total loss of the ship total loss of the cargo, but every single person was, was saved. And that's all because of what we started with, and that is 
um, God's going to get His work done. There's no, there's no human force. There's not even any, as we've seen here in this chapter, there's not even any, any forces of nature that's going to prevent God from being able to accomplish what uh, He set out to accomplish and to fulfill the promises that He had made. And uh, one way or another, Paul in this case is, is getting to Rome. Yeah. yeah, definitely so. Now, I, I want to end with something that probably doesn't matter. I might be making it up. I don't know. But this this last section, I, I don't know. I always pictured this as, okay, they're, they're getting to go to the island, so... You know, now it's sunny and the storm's <laughs> gone and there's a rainbow and, you know, the birds are chirping and yeah. everybody's just gently getting into the short. That's probably not what's happening. No. Like the storm's probably still going on. Those waves are like bashing into the boat, like breaking it up piece by piece. And we're going to see in chapter 28, it's raining there too. So it's probably not like this nice, pretty scene of finally we have arrived to safety. Yeah. Um, it's probably kind of scary. Yeah. To to jump off, especially if you couldn't swim and and you have to rely on these planks and stuff. It's but what the people had seen, who had seen, had saw, had had witnessed already. <laughs> they 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 saw this, the attitude of Paul, the things that he said would happen. They happen, mm-hmm. and so he must know what he's talking about. You know, if if I could see that, then I can have faith that I, I'm going to make it to this island. Yeah. Um, even though you know it's still storming and it's still scary, and now I don't have this big boat protecting me. I, I'm on this little piece of wood. Yeah. Floating along. Um, so, like, even then, I, I think, again, because of Paul's example, and because of what had happened, they they saw the power of the Lord. They were willing and able to to make it to the shore, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know. I've, I've undersold that a lot before, but that that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's an important piece of this. Well, in some ways, maybe the first ten verses of chapter twenty-eight probably should have been included here uh, in, in chapter twenty-seven, really. Um, but we'll have to save it for next week because we will talk about the. It's a, again. It's a it's yeah. kind of a, a, a exciting or at least a, you know memorable event that takes place here on the island of Malta, and then and then after that, the remainder of of chapter twenty eight is Paul finally arriving in Rome, and and that'll end up bringing to a conclusion uh, this great great book. Um, Final word. Uh, I know what your final catchphrase is, but any other words you want to put with it? It's, well, I, I think that this chapter turned out to be a lot more spiritually minded yeah. than uh, than at first glance. And so that's that's what we need to do. I, I think just seeing God in the, in the normal, and this isn't normal and mundane by any stretch of the imagination, but we need to see God in our lives. Um, you know, how is he working? The very food that we eat, you know, the places we go, um, we need to see that God is with us, even if you know we don't hear Him, we don't see Him. He's there, yeah. and and we need to be more aware of that, because the more that we are aware of that, the more that other people are going to see that in us, and and ultimately uh, glorify God because of that. But I mean, here it is, guys. Let's just keep studying. Yeah. Uh, moral of the story is. Um in September and October, which is when this was taking place, uh, don't take a cruise. <laughs> bad idea. Could turn out bad for you. Don't no. Do all right. Looking forward to talking about Chapter 28 uh, next week as we uh, bring all this to a close.